0: That's Welcome to the Space Cave, a podcast from the future, strictly about the future. Let's check in with a citizen of planet Earth. Now
1: we're Now re- we are recording. Now we're recording.
0: Uh just I think I just got that mosquito which has to be the last one of the year. They just mm. appear I th- I didn't know there
1: were mosquitoes in ca-
0: There never are. And California. this year they're here well into November. Welcome and to
1: Trump's America.
0: <laughs> I try to, I've been employing this technique and there's really no way to gauge whether it's effective or not, other than if you find when you look at your hands, mm-hmm. there's a remnants of a mosquito, but you know, like you do the clap and then you look, like, damn, I missed them. Yeah. So now what I do is I see them in a general vicinity, I go like a massive attack yeah I give them like eight snaps and then I look I've yet to really catch one that way but I feel I'm I'm doing more of like a shotgun yeah technique at him
1: you ever do the hand clap but maybe but your hands were like cupped too much and you don't you oh don't, yeah yeah. that's, and then I that's, hope that's very that I've frustrating
0: made, I always hope I've rendered them very deaf at that point Yeah, just shockwaved them. That's got to do
1: something weird to them, you would think.
0: Throw off their equilibrium, they smash into something. Yeah, I'd think so. Land in some water, ideally. Yeah, Well, that's their home. They do. They're birthed in water.
1: They're birthed in water, just like the Nirvana baby.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But then they won't chase you into it. What a weird thing. It's impenetrable to them. They're too small to go into water. They are home. They must think we're so magical. Like, my food just went under where I was born, and I can't go in. I can see them. I can't go in there.
1: Is that because they're too small? They're too light they're too to light. get into water?
0: Yeah, What is whatever that capillary, I think that's the right term for the force that water has. You know, like when you put yeah. two plates of glass together and can't pull them apart with like a single drop, you have to yeah. slide it. Yeah. I think that has something to do with uh, the viscous nature of the surface Weird. of water. I'm reaching at this point. I was thinking, because we didn't in any way... Now I've got a bubble in my... Come on, get it together.
1: That dude. might be the mosquito. <laughs>
0: they just say mosquito? The mosquito. <laughs> that was
1: the, I hate mosquitoes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was thinking... Last time we... Uh, first time you were on Professor Blastoff, we talked about ghosts. Ghostly. Yeah. And then last time we just kind of talked about, um, yeah, being an artist or a creative type and the the whole journey of that. And But I was thinking earlier, just the amount of stuff that we do as humans conversationally that we sort of put up with and then you really just really appreciate having friends that virtually every conversation is in some way meaningful or engaging in a way that makes you think like, oh, yeah. Or even just hearing a story that has some level of payoff. Yeah. I feel like the, the conversations that are the most enjoyable are either someone being like, here's how you get this, whether that's free cable or some sort yeah. of like, or here's a great book or show or whatever. You're like, okay. But Almost every other, com- or, or then to finish that list, obviously it's something, you know, engaging or like, here's a bit about me or you, yeah. or I'm working through a problem, something maybe philosophical.
1: A life hack, maybe.
0: <laughs> cool. Well, that goes back to the first one. Yeah,
1: that's, yeah that does
0: almost every other conversation is some level of like, even if it's not totally banal and small talk, it's like, well, then we vacation here and we, we like, we just love it. And you're kind of listening and going like,
1: yeah, it's cool.
0: It's cool about your life, but I don't really care. Yeah. I don't care in the way that I wish I did. Like it's, I, that's
1: what I was going to say. I wish I cared more because I see sometimes people like are able to really engage in that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's, uh, narcissism on my part that I can't engage or exhaustion. And I think oftentimes it's the latter. And I yeah. need something just like spicier and juicier to get me like on board. Yeah. Or whatever. Or maybe it's just I've heard this aversion of this a lot every day. But as opposed to somebody that's going like No, I'm pretty sure I killed a Bigfoot once. What? Huh? (laughs) Yeah. Go into that. As opposed to like how blue the water is in in Cabo San Lucas. Like I've never seen it, but I've heard that it is quite blue. (laughs) You can see all the way to the bottom. Mm -hmm. But I want to hear about this Bigfoot you killed.
0: Even, you know, when like someone comes in with that Bigfoot story and they are just dressed in a way that looks like... You seem like someone that has a bigfoot tail. Yeah, you know it's never someone that has a look of like, wait, but you look like you teach law at Yale or yeah. something like that. When they say, I, "I got a bigfoot story," everyone just gets that weird. Posture. I'm a Harvard
1: bigfoot man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, see, I have a Princeton bigfoot. We we call him squatch there. Of course, we're a bit. More illustrious than yes. you. Yes,
1: squatchy. Things are getting squatchy. <laughs> it's been a very bigfoot-centered uh, trip for me. I went to the Bigfoot Lounge. Yeah, and then went there last night uh, for a drink, and uh, just had a lot of talk about. One time, uh, my the the band was on tour and we broke down and uh, I ended up we had to get split up for some weird reason. I ended up watching like four hours of a Bigfoot uh, hunters marathon. Yeah. And there's a really great line where one of the guys in all sincerity says, it's feeling really squatchy out here. <laughs> like, but completely sincere. Yeah. And I love hearing like an insane <laughs> thing. That's so totally sincere, like a random thing that, yeah, oh, you, you'll, I'll never get to hear that with sincerity mm-hmm. for the rest of my life. Probably. Yeah. You know,
0: uh, Emily Rose one time, Early when we were dating her, I think both of us had just eaten some garlic and she goes, um, let's not kiss mouths. And I just <laughs> thought that was the funniest term for like, as if our mouths were things that we could like driving cars or something, like touch them together. And I love when like you, we point out to someone like, you realize what you just said? Yeah. Let's not kiss our mouths. And then they, she didn't even really get it. And it would be a bummer if you told that guy, like, you just said it feels squatchy. Yeah. And then maybe he'd be self conscious about that going yeah, forward. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, that's a bummer. And now I've taken that away. because yeah. I want someone to. I was. Uh, I used to do. I only did probably five of these shows total. It was kind of fun. It was right after the, the uh, luster of Last Comic Standing had sort of worn a little thin, and they were doing these tours called the Nobodies of Comedy, which is a rough thing to get booked on, but they yeah. paid really well, and you'd go to like these small towns where they had these beautiful theaters. And it was just small enough where any level of attraction was enough mm-hmm. for all the people to come out. So we were at like 1,000, 1,500 seats. And this guy, Jamie Lissa, was on the show with me one time. And uh, we were, they would do like a meet and greet. And so they'd be like these, like, and we, I think we were in Tiffin, Ohio, I want to say. This feels, I'm 90% sure on that. And so they invited him in Ohio. Tiffin, just like 50 miles. Maybe. It's not that far e- uh, west of um, Detroit. Maybe a little further than that, yeah. but it's you can fly a Detroit. And it's not that long of a drive to get out there, and uh, which which would seem like if they're that close, why wouldn't they just go into Detroit to yeah. watch shows? But anyway, they're at this theater and they did a meet and greet, and I mean, they were like legitimate. Like I haven't left the farm in ten years. Yeah. looking Type people, and this guy looked like a character from Kingpin, but it wasn't like he had dressed up to you know he was just that was his style. Kind of yeah. cut bangs, whitish hair, bobbed just below his ears, <laughs> overalls. And he was talking to us and he goes, um, Oh, you 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 were here a while ago, weren't you? And Jamie goes, Yeah, I was. And he goes, Yeah, it was a couple, three years ago, right? And just that terminology didn't really catch my ear. But then Jamie goes, I think it was a couple, three years ago. And the <laughs> fact that he repeated it made me laugh. And then yeah. I felt like such an asshole because the guy was looking at me like, Are, are you making fun of yeah. me? And I went, no, 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 I'm not. I okay, just.
1: Okay, city slicker with your big words. <laughs> Some proper grammatical structures.
0: I'll be adjourning now. Yeah. You have slatted me.
1: Couple three years ago. Couple, I like three that. Years ago. I like a couple three years. I love ago. it,
0: and I th- I think that uh, when Jamie was trying to like immerse into it, and just, oh, I think it was a couple three years ago. It was endearing. Yeah. I thought he was being. I thought he was being funny and just not breaking like yeah. you know, totally straight face being. It was a couple three years ago because it was a silly thing for a New York guy to say. You know, if someone said that to me, I go. Yeah, I guess it was like two or three years ago. I wouldn't repeat yeah. back. It is feeling squatchy out here. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> One time I, I I got back from a tour and we like had driven an overnight to get home and had to go drop off the trailer and this and that, some business before actually going to home and going to sleep. I'm super tired. There's like three of us and we're all just exhausted, but we're also super hungry and we're like, well you know we probably could have got food hours beforehand but i was like let's wait till we get to austin to get some good food and went to some thai place and i'm super exhausted and uh i was trying to ask the lady if they had coconut juice and um because there's, there's a lot of coconut stuff there and i was just and but she didn't speak english well at all and she was like uh i can't remember it was like coconut juice and she like you want juice and i was like Uh, coconut juice (laughs) and I started like getting more phonetic with it but in complete sincerity not trying to be funny Mm -hmm. but uh, I I can't remember how it played out but it would it came out like I was mocking her Asian tongue Mm -hmm. and it came out so awkward that it was the funniest thing. And then me trying to like over explain like, no, I'm not, it wasn't, we're laughing, but we're tired. (laughs) And the, and I know that none of these words are getting through, but it just came out like not Jew. And I felt so bad, but at the same time, couldn't stop laughing because I was so exhausted and trying to like, I'm not, and I felt so bad because I hope I didn't make you feel bad, but I don't think she understood anyway, but.
0: Yeah. Like Dougie was telling that story the other day where he slipped, he was wearing like a tutu and he slipped and fell and thought he'd broken his knee. And then he was screaming in agony, but also laughing. Yeah. And and Mindy was watching like, why are you, why are you laughing? And it was because he was, and I love that like you always just want your friends around to know like how your brain's operating. Yeah. Like, oh, I fell instantly filled with pain, instantly picturing the paramedics lifting me up in this two, yeah. And then laughing about it. And when you're in a situation like that, like with this, a clerk at a store and you're, it's going terribly yeah. and you're laughing and seeing their face. Like, why are you? And then you feel like a sociopath. Like, Oh, cause this, if I were watching this from, a yeah. man, I'd be cracking up at how this is a
1: good, this is a good scene. <laughs> This is a good scene for some episode that hasn't yeah. been filmed yet.
0: <laughs> Always nice chatting with my pal Mike Weeby of the Riverboat Gamblers and the band Dracula is coming to Los Angeles to play the Fonda Theater uh, December 2nd. So that's coming up. Get some tickets if you can. I can't recommend it enough going to see Mike live, any band that he's a member of or a part of. He really commands the stage. It's really fun to watch. And you can listen to the continuation of that chat if you are a Patreon member. So apologies for the tease uh, for those of you that, that uh, can't listen to the rest, but for those of you who do support the show, enjoy the, the rest of the chat. We really get into everything, the occult and mysteries and the unexplained and beliefs and all that, and just general, how's it going? So I appreciate it. Thanks to those of you who do support the show. This show is made possible from contributions from listeners just like you. There are no ads, and it really helps with, uh, you know, having the website up and tech things and buying beer and music and so on and so forth. So, if you'd like to support the show, that's a great way to do it. Patreon, just search either David Huntsberger, that's me, or Space Cave. All right, let's get into some hardcore chatting. She is a comedian, as well as, uh, I'm worried about it. You'll hear in the chat, she, she's got herself stretched pretty thin as far as her time commitments and things, but I, I like when people are doing that. It seems like that's when you're the, the most vibrant in life, when you're. Juggling everything and keeping it going, and really uh, passionate about all the things that you're doing, and I guess today Pallavi Ganalan, I think, embodies that wholeheartedly. And uh, I really enjoyed this chat. I hope you did too. Here's part one. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah, That's nice like, foley work.
2: Exactly, foley artist. <laughs> I remember like really liking that when I was a kid.
0: I got to go see a bit of it one time. uh at a friend of a friend who was scoring the movie Date Night with Tina Fey and Steve Carell. Mm-hmm. And so I got to go, he just hangs out, here he was, hanging out in flip-flops and just a very casual attire, but this really lush, cool studio, huge, it's almost like a like a NASA sort of interface, the desk he was at with the, the big rolling ball kind of for a palm for a mouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a huge movie theater screen that he was using as, like, you know, where you'd have on your monitor to, to do editing. And then so it was like 15 layers down of all the different sound files that he had in. And he was showing me how he would recorded a bunch of them and where, where everything comes from. He's like, listen to this sound in there. And
2: That's then it so would be cool. Like,
0: it was really neat. And then we went around the corner... And it was these two, maybe three, kind of bizarre people, strapping like two by fours to their feet and doing. Like, <laughs> kunk, 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 kunk. I, and I would rather do that than like extra work. Oh, definitely. I want to make weird noises in studios with strangers. He, they were so dedicated, and he was, you know, watching them, kind of like, yeah. And I was like, that's so cool. I said the same thing. Like, that's. I think that's what I'd want to get into. And he yeah. goes, "We only ever use that when we um, do like." a second language version of the film. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, they only use those sounds if it, they translate it into German. And then I guess it's, they have to sort of scrub out so much dialogue that it's easier to recreate all the sounds. I didn't fully
2: understand oh, why. Oh, I to. see this. So the audio, like you can't just take out the words. You have to take out the sounds as well.
0: I think the so. background sounds, So then you have to like recreate it. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and then I, I'm realizing now when you came over, I think I introduced you by how I'd heard you brought up at the show we did together, but then y- the pronunciation of your name was different, that it was Pallavi. Pallavi. Okay, and I think I said it differently, so I apologize for no,
2: that. No, that's fine.
0: It's Pallavi, a tough one. Gunnalin? Gunnalin.
2: Damn it! (laughs) These syllabic. I have uh, I have bits that I make around the create or the sound of my name at the beginning of every set, so that people like I can clear it up or whatever. The hosts always, if they're even if they're brown, sometimes they. I have a different. I'm a different ethnicity within India that has like these longer longer names mm-hmm. um and my name isn't even that long for my ethnicity uh but uh I'm thumb, I'm half Thummel, which is my dad's side and I have a, a joke about his name too his name is Kanchipuram Natarajan Ganalan <laughs> <Like, laughs> and and yeah it's like a weird Ganalan is actually the name that his parents gave him but it's the last name th- that mm-hmm. he has in his string of names and then the Kanchipuram is like where our family's from and then Natarajan would be like our last name whoa so it's yeah it's it's a different order but uh yeah i have <laughs> i have jokes about that too and like especially when uh, white hosts go up and they try to introduce me because brown people they're like I, don't just, I just don't know it or whatever you know or they'll like try and it'll be fine but uh sometimes white hosts will go up and just like freak out and i'm just like just say it fast i do a whole bit it's fine like <laughs> you're fine you don't need to apologize <laughs>
0: you know but i appreciate when they try I used to really pride myself on it a lot more. I was a substitute teacher when I first uh, finished college and was like getting into comedy, and I... I feel like my batting percentage was pretty good. That's good. But but I only had to do one half or the other. And then, so I think I would have said like, Palavi, And then she, you would have corrected me. Or sometimes I'm like, yeah, yeah, here. Yeah. So then it inflates your batting average to a certain degree. You're like, I think I got that one. Yeah. And I've <laughs> undoubtedly I undoubtedly was wrong.
2: I actually, um, my friend Ruby Ibarra is a, a rap uh, recording artist. And she had her album come out, which was amazing. Like, it really like boosted her career because she's amazing. And she's Filipina and her album was all about her immigration story to the US when she was like two, it's called Circa 91, which is when they came to the States. Um, But I got to do like vocal sketches in between and I got to play like a racist teacher just mispronouncing (laughs) the name because we've all had that experience where they're like, "Mm -hmm, I'm just going to call you this. And it's like uh, whatever their version of your name, like just butchering it, not
0: caring and like trying to like whitewash you or whatever. Well, yours being uh just syllabically maybe a little bit where you'd say it like like i did like gunnalyn like no it's gunnalyn like, yeah oh, okay that that doesn't feel i was huntsberger to me is like a can't miss name that's my my yeah. last name and people would teachers not just uh someone you know calling my order up at a thing or something like that but would always guess it or someone checking me into something reading my id would, they'd kind of get this like grin <laughs> Hertzberger? I mean, where's the Hertzberger? Hunts- yeah. <laughs> like it'll do fancy with it. That
2: that gives me like that makes me feel a lot better at open mics if people when people hesitate I just like get on stage I'm like I don't know what's my name it's fine. Mm-hmm. But um <laughs> but sometimes they'll mess up my name and I'll be like Ugh, they don't even whatever they don't even try like blah, blah blah and then they'll mess up like a regular like Patrick Ooh. or something you know, like just a regular yeah. ass name and I'm just <laughs> I'm like oh that makes me feel better like this is <laughs> they have a clear problem it's not just me my name.
0: <laughs> Yeah, I think people that uh, we can, don't get it. We can sorry. swear on here, right, and say Do whatever. whatever you like, okay, yeah. great, yeah. fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> this is the um, Saint Archer Blondale, and it's from San Diego. Do you have any uh, association with San Diego at all?
2: I've been there a bunch um, for comedy. Um, I was there like last two weeks ago, last week. Oh, Okay, I can't remember where I've been. <laughs> I've been out of town a lot, um, but yeah, I go there a lot for uh, for comedy, and I also was there for a neuroscience conference. Um, that was the main reason I was there. <laughs> I'm like pitching it. <laughs> like I'm just there for comedy, but I was actually there for a neuroscience conference. So you
0: go for a conference and sneak away and do some sets. Yeah. And sometimes my,
2: not this time, but two years ago, my lab mates like came and watched and stuff, which was real dumb. Cause I was very new to comedy. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was like, you should come see me do actual comedy now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I was like defensive. I was like, I'm different. I'm better. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, yeah, anytime I go anywhere, if it's for conferences, if it's like a wedding or what, I'll just book sets around it. Because i was, I'm an addict now.
0: <laughs> so you're in that great spot where it's just. It's wide open and it's fun to just try it, study it, kind of figure out how to get better at it, what you want to do, how to do it. That's fun. It's fun,
2: but I'm super, I put a lot of pressure on myself to get better. I will have a good set and walk off stage and be like, I'm trash and like analyze like the parts that weren't good. And like, I'll talk to my friends. I'll be like, did I do okay? And they're like, you did well. And I'm like, nah, this other part, this part didn't work. Like I get really in my head about it. Uh So like I'm going through a stage right now where I'm trying to like, have more fun with it and be more present because I am like, I, I, I want to be better. like than what I was before. And then also like, I'm comparing myself to other people and I'm like, I'm like, I have only two years in, but I started like older, like I'm 29 now. Mm -hmm. And there are people who start when they're like 19 or crazy shit. And I just want to like prove myself on these shows. So I put (laughs) so much pressure on myself and it's, it's real dumb,
0: (laughs) but It, it takes away a lot of the fun of it.
2: But it, you um, st- still when I'm on stage, like I think before and after I'll have this like anxiety or stress. But when I'm on stage and like getting in the moment, getting the laughs, like I'm still like this is the best feeling ever. Mm-hmm. So that's like the rush
0: of it. Yeah. But yeah. But then the moment you slide a line in there that the crowd kind of just, go, eh, then you're immediately in like you're like you're keeping a score in your head of like now I'm down to a ninety-seven or
2: oh man, that's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, I think I like I I I think not in not when i'm on stage as much but i do think i get off stage and i'm like yeah that part didn't feel good like i'll go back over it um but when i'm on stage i'm i am trying to like do the best i can so i don't I don't think I like just focus on that. Yeah. You know, cause How much that would be time
0: hard. off stage. Are you writing a lot? And um,
2: it's really hard cause I've been traveling a lot. So I keep doing shows where I feel like I have to prove myself. So I, you know, you get trapped in the thing of like doing your best jokes or whatever. And then you're like, I hate my material. I want to do new stuff. But yesterday I hit like six mics or like, you know, and so I got a few new jokes from that. So whenever I'm back and I don't have an assignment to turn in for school or mm-hmm. a deadline to meet, um, or even if I do sometimes, i just still go to open mics and try to get, get new material. That's like it's constant search for new material.
0: Yeah, as, as everybody is. I, when I was in Austin, and that was like just such a great scene because it, it was really frowned upon for people to take it too seriously. It was a lot more about... But people would show up and be just hellbent on like... And a lot of times they'd burn themselves out because it's, it's becomes stressful. It becomes like, I got to get this. I got to do that. I got to... And everyone else will be like you don't really have to do anything you know yeah you should be enjoying it
2: my friends have to remind me of that they're like you're gonna burn yourself out and I'm like I don't care at least I'll go out doing it well <laughs> like, I'm just like so strange about it but I don't yeah I do put a lot of pressure on myself I had you know I bombed at Mikes yesterday but I had like a good set And I felt good about like what I learned from it so at least like I'm I'm moving through it.
0: I'm definitely moving through it. Well, that's good. Yeah. And how did your parents feel? Because Indian, are you, do you have a a lot of Indian cultural things where like the pressure to be a lawyer, doctor, kind of a a higher level career? Is that, was that a real thing when you were a kid?
2: Yeah, but I also wanted it for myself. Like Mm. I always really cared about people and their well being and and animals and stuff. And so I've always been like really like healthcare focused. Mm -hmm. Like even when I was a kid, I wanted to be a doctor at first and I took all these like vocational medical classes in high school, just on my own. And I became like a certified nurse's assistant. I didn't oh. actually ever like practice it or anything. I just took the class when I was in my senior year. And then I had to, I left Utah. So the credentials didn't like work elsewhere. Um, but I always, I was, and I worked in labs since I was like 13. Um, because I saw like, I was in the math engineering science association and someone came and did a presentation and then I got their contact information. <laughs> from the teacher and I was like I want to set up an internship and I, I don't even know how I knew what an internship was like I don't e- but but if you tried to dig back what, would it be like you saw
0: it on a show or maybe read about
2: probably it probably I, I, maybe I just contacted them and was like I want to learn more and then they were like that's an internship or something I don't know but I ended up like working with them over the summers and stuff but I did all that on my own like people think that my dad always said like education is the most important thing and I think there's some like members of our extended family who didn't uh, pursue or have those opportunities and so and his dad like really pushed education and because of that was able to support like his family because his father my grandfather's father died when he was 13 mm-hmm. and then my grandfather was the one who was supporting his like older brothers and younger s- sisters and stuff Um, And he was a baller. Like, he was a lawyer, member of parliament, which is equivalent to a senator. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: He was, like, he was a a judge and everything. And he was, like, amazing. Um, And then my dad is a civil engineer with a PhD. And my uncle is a cardiothoracic surgeon. So that's definitely, on my dad's side, a huge thing. My mom's side is a little bit more wild (laughs) and, like, more creative and all over the place. My dad's side was very, like, educational, political, um, or educated political. And then my mom's side was, like... I have a race car driving cousin. I have like, yeah, it's like, they meet? It's like a Bollywood movie. Um, My, so my mom's Cindy, which is North Indian, light skin, taller. My dad's Tamil, which is South Indian, dark skin, shorter, Dravidian, like race, uh, like fully Indian. Basically my mom's side, the reason they're light skin was they got banged by the Aryans like way, way back when or whatever. There's a lot of like mixing. Um, But then when the, when partition happened between India and Pakistan uh, in the '40s, all the Hindus had to move to India, and all the Muslims had to move to Pakistan, which was given to the Muslims as a their own state. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a it was a lot of bloodshed, a lot of slaughter um, in that process. Uh, to the point where my grandfather, on my mom's side, um, there was like curfew, and he had had a few of his children. My mom's one of nine, so he had a few of the older children. Um, when you know, like when the before the partition so when it was happening they had a curfew and my uncle like as a toddler went missing like they couldn't find him in the night and they couldn't go out because then they would have gotten killed um and they found him at a neighbor's the next day um and then when they were leaving my grandfather had to hold down a door while this like a bunch of like afghani people were trying to like get in and like kill him and his family and so he had to hold hold down a door in his home as they escaped (sighs) So people like don't understand the whole like Muslim Hindu thing, but I mean there was slaughter on like both sides and it was really, you know, it's really rough. Um, but now like in the U S like the, the facial recognition comedy girls that I work with, they're both Muslim and Fiza is Indian and Zara is Pakistani and my family is Indian and Hindu. So like there's a, it's a lot easier for us when we're like separated from it. But like our, our parents generation remembers Mm -hmm. that that was like my uncles, you know? So they like remember it. So there's a lot of like, you know, animosity and anger between the two religions. Um, but yeah so they that's a whole history lesson sorry but they no, like moved stupid. down from that area and they moved to into my dad's home when my dad was in my mom and dad were in fifth grade about and they, my so my mom's parents were renting for my dad's parents and her and her nine siblings are there yeah it was like a big like three-story house mm-hmm. or whatever my dad's family is like the landowning cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then my mom's little sister and my dad's best friend started falling in love when they were like 17, when my parents were 17. And then my parents started, like they would drag my mom and my dad along. And then my dad told my, they went dancing and my mom pretend, pretended her ankle was broken because she was shy. And then at one point he was like, the moon is shining and the stars are bright. Will you dance with me? <laughs> some shit, some corny ass shit. Cheesy guy. I know it's cute though. It's knowing my dad, cute. it's very cute. And then she did. And then they like fell in love, but then it became this whole thing thing the families didn't want them to get together and it was like a seven-year thing they sent my mom to the states when she was like 19 um to, to live with my uncle and she would like secretly send letters back to my dad they tried to arrange marry her to somebody else and she like wore the most disgusting sorry she had and yeah. like oiled up her hair and they were like your daughter's too dark for our son and which is crazy because she's hella light skin. there's so much colorism yeah. in india that um Yeah. And then they finally, it was unfortunate. It was after my mom's mom passed when she was 17 and her dad passed when she was 23 and they ended up getting married at 24. So it was like the parents passed away on my mom's side before they could see her get married. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was unfortunate. Um, But yeah, then they got married and then they moved to the States for my dad's PhD when he was 24, I think like right after they got
0: married. That's a pretty romantic tale. You should uh, consider writing that into, like, a screenplay or
2: something. Yeah, it is. It's just very complicated. And then after, that's not the end of the tale. Like, they've had, you know, like, their own marital problems or whatever later on. But they're still together. And I think right now it's, like, the best, <laughs> the best situation. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. How, and do you have other siblings? hmm I have an older brother. Um, he, so I'm currently attending USC for my PhD in biomedical engineering. And the research that I do is computational neuroscience. My brother just finished the PhD part of his MD PhD at Case Western. And he's a biomedical engineer that does computational neuroscience. And we both did our masters and we worked on neural probes, which are like electrodes you insert into the brain and it helps move like prosthetic arms and stuff. Oh
0: man, I've read about that a little bit with um, Tourette's patients way back where they would put in uh, so people have like this little device. Sometimes they keep it close to their chest or like on a necklace or sometimes it's like they have to hold it near their chest. Yeah. And then... Uh, but with the the probe, when it was put in on this like rod basically into their skull, they have mm-hmm. to describe what's happening. Like, yeah, that feels cold. Or I'm I'm frightened all of a sudden. Yeah, like, yeah.
2: Because they have to track like where it's going, the path it's hitting, the yeah. nerves that it's hitting. Yeah, there's a lot of... um a lot of different types of probes for a lot of different diseases and disorders. My brother focuses mostly on like Parkinson's, Mm -hmm. um, whereas the work that I'm part of uh, focuses well that that's his current work um, the probes that we made before were for very similar reasons he he did his masters at Utah and I did mine at Carnegie Mellon and they, like Utah has a very like established commercially available probe Utah and Michigan mm-hmm. those universities and at CMU we were trying to make our own like version to like minimize the trauma in the brain and stuff mm-hmm. um, and so we, we were working on like competing things but his was already like super well established and had been around for like 20 years or something but yes yeah, so so we had a very similar path, but later we didn't realize it until like much later when we were like, I had him like look at my resume and I looked at his or something like that. We like, we read each other's papers and stuff. Cause we like understand it, which is super awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we're like, Whoa, we really didn't mean to do this, but we have like a lot of like overlap and our dad's a civil engineer, which is like bridges and tunnels and stuff. So yeah. like, it's very like, he always wanted us to be engineers I think both my brother and I had this, like, pull towards, like, healthcare and, like, helping people in that way.
0: But there was no, hey, you kids, do your homework. I want you to be very successful and enter into careers that are challenging and rewarding. And it was you guys just kind of on your own. We're like, we're going to go study neuroscience.
2: Yeah. No, like, people think that, that's the thing is, like, my parents are pretty, like, they they still, they're Indian and they're liberal Indian. So, they, they They walk this strange line, and sometimes it's hard to predict what will make them like happy or unhappy or whatever. But my dad, he always was like, education is very important. That should be your number one priority: your health and your education, Uh, which he's not wrong. (laughs) And then, um, but he he wanted us to be an engineer because he felt like that was more like problem solving, which after uh, like my undergrad, I met pure biologists who were geniuses and you know, like you can go a lot of different routes with that. I do think engineering felt right for me and my brother. Um, And so we were happy to do that, but I was like harder on myself for my grades than my parents were. Like I got, I remember getting a B plus in high school or something and freaking out. Like I was devastated.
0: How much of that do you think? I mean, studying biology and getting into like the DNA of it, I've heard parents, you know, especially comedians, just be like, hey, your kids just come out how they are, you just keep them alive. Like, you don't really shape too much who they are. You're I think just- my parents shaped a lot of who I am, but I think, you know, like
2: good and bad.
0: But where do you think that came from if they weren't like hard on you or. My so my mom when I got like all A's would take me out to dinner or something. So that was maybe in the back of my mind, this sort of reward thing. And I, but I was the same way. I wanted my room very clean. Oh, I didn't give a shit together. about my room. My parents were always like, "What is wrong with your
2: room? <laughs> like, <laughs> fix your room." But I wasn't gross. I just like let my clothes be like. I didn't make my bed. I would leave my clothes on the ground. I mm-hmm. wasn't like dirty. Yeah. Uh, and my mom is like kind of like OCD, so she she is very clean. Um, but yeah, like. I don't I don't remember their I, I remember them saying nice things and like want, you know like they brag to other people about you. You don't always hear it, but they like do that. Yeah. Um but I I think my dad just kept emphasizing the education part. He kept and also there are people in our family who have more unstable lives and it's because they're not independent and a lot of them some of them are women, you know, like that not just like there's on both sides people who aren't as like trained or whatever but um i remember my dad i kind of like looked at some of my cousins who were married young or whatever and were felt kind of trapped and i think my dad saw that and really f- for me as a woman wanted to make sure that i was like educated and could handle my own stuff Um we did some
0: work on the uh first season of the Bill Nye program on Netflix. And that was one of the segments they did on how like the birth rate was going down in India because they were putting more of an emphasis on educating women. Yeah. And like it makes complete sense.
2: Yeah, I mean that's yeah, anytime you educate women, it's like way better for your healthcare, your economy, your society. It's like it's been proven over and over again. So mm-hmm. like but yeah, I, I appreciate my dad doing that. But I, I do think my brother and I, we just like we just wanted to do well. We, there was definitely something within us where we we were interested in it ourselves. Like I was joining every club after school. Part of that was to like get out of the house. But um, and <laughs> did I, you compete with each other
0: a little bit? Just he was grades, always like that? he
2: was four years older than me, but like a, a year ahead. In addition to that, so even in high school, he was already out by the time I got in. Oh, did he skip a grade or something? He went into kindergarten like early. Wow. So like, and then my parents were, they were like, oh, he's a boy. He did it. And then he, you know, was upset he couldn't drive when all his friends were driving and stuff. And so we didn't want that for you or whatever, because you're a girl and you're different. So it's like, (laughs) they do have a little bit of that where it's like, they were more protective of me or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, he, I don't think, I think growing up, honestly, like there, this is just my perception, but I think like. There was, I, like, I would stay up super late to get work done, and, like, my brother was a little bit more of a rebel in high school. Like, I I remember, like, my pre-calc teacher was like, you get the day off because the other kids have to do this test, and you're in a different grade. And you get like you guys can go do whatever. And I was like, I don't want to skip school. <laughs> like I didn't want to skip a class, and my teacher told me to skip. And my brother one time got caught playing hooky by my dad. So I think my da- my brother was like a little bit more rebellious in high school, and then I got crazy in like college and after, and had this like meandering educational path, like really? where I yeah. And my brother was like, co- like high school, college, masters, MD, PhD, and I was like high school, college, did not get into grad school the first time I applied. Was teaching and tutoring. Thought I would work at McDonald's. Was freaking out because it was the first time I didn't have a plan did my masters <laughs> finished in a year and a half instead of two and then like was also teaching and tutoring and then finally got a job in industry and then did my PhD so my my career path even when I interview with professors and stuff they're like you're a little different you're a little weird <laughs> like you're, <laughs> you're a little all over the place um, it's sort of
0: like a slinky or something that that stretch was minimal but it really slingshotted up there quickly it seemed like where you race through with all that newfound inertia
2: you mean like in terms of uh, like, wh- like how my career
0: went? like Just that little break where it was, oh, it's off track just a little. And some people would have deviated along. Oh, and then I like went back into it? Immediately. And like full force. Finished faster than expected. Like really went after I it.
2: mean, I still had like, it was definitely that moment in time was really critical for me because it was the first time I didn't have a plan and I felt like I f- like I mean c- undergrad was really hard for me educationally like academically um, because I was competing with valedictorians of every I went to Caltech and it was like so hard <laughs> like there were there our first biology course an extra credit question was basically like how would you cure AIDS <laughs> and like one of our friends had a viable option and then started working for on that research for the Nobel Prize winner David Baltimore wow. so like those were my pee- years. <laughs> <laughs> so then like and there's always got to be a lower half of the school and so like I always felt like really I felt really dumb after Caltech. like I felt really stupid during and after. but I knew from that that I could learn how to figure stuff out and that and after when I didn't get in and it was really hard for me and I was super depressed and like didn't know what I was doing I, and then I got into my master's I was like, okay. Even when I'm lost, I can figure stuff out and also having the skill of like teaching and tutoring and like being, you know, being able to pay my, pay some bills. My parents helped me until my master's, but until like being able to contribute some, I was like, okay, so in the future, if I don't have a plan, it'll be okay. So then when I was job searching and it took even longer <laughs> to figure out what I was doing, I was like, okay, I've been through this before. I'm not going to die. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll still maybe have a career. I can still apply for things. So that was that first time when I didn't have a plan, like really, helped me figure out how to be more proactive in the future so now like I'll fail and I'll just be like what I'll just do the next thing like I just like (laughs) I'm like fuck it like I'll I spite applied to a bunch of like comedy festivals spite applied. I was mad at a boy and I was like I'm gonna be funny (laughs) I just like applied to a bunch of festivals and then I didn't get into some but I like blocked it out I was just like I'm just gonna do the next thing Mm -hmm. so I think that's helpful but also it can be very um you can you can be, be, be very not in the
0: moment when you do that, so it's like it's a balance. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you're in LA now, or I guess you were too at Caltech, and then where is Car- Carnegie Mellon? That's in Pittsburgh. So I went um, uh, Utah. Well, I was born in Texas,
2: and then I moved to Utah when I was like almost four. And then Caltech for undergrad at 18. And then I lived in, the, in Glendale. So Caltech's in Pasadena. And I lived in Glendale for the year after, like teaching and trying to figure stuff out. I tried to go home for three months, and I just didn't last. I was like, I can't. Nothing's here for me. <laughs> and then my parents helped me, like, move back out here. Um, and then I moved to Pittsburgh, Carnegie Mellon. I was in Pittsburgh for two years, but I was doing research after I finished. Um, and then I moved to San Francisco, and I worked in Fremont um, after, once I got a job there. And then I moved down back down to L.A. Yeah, And I live in the arts district now.
0: Yeah, now you're getting your Ph.D. And how, how much time is that going to take and how far along the uh, process? are
2: you? That's the worst question to ask a grad student. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, st- I'm in the beginning of my third year. Um, it's going to take a long time, particularly because I do comedy. And I also have sleep apnea really bad. So I have like really bad sleep schedule and I'm doing comedy all the time, which is perfect for your professor to know. Um, but I Do they know that? They know that... My professor knows that I do comedy. Uh, My lab mates know a lot more that I do comedy. Um, But I I don't think my professor has a full understanding of it. I talked to him about my sleep apnea when he was upset with me one time. But it's legit a problem because I will just do comedy because it's easier to think. Mm -hmm. It's easier to, like, make a flyer and do promotions when I can't think technically because of my apnea and because of my sleep issues. Um,
0: You seem... I mean... I I would think what I was starting to ask whether you live in LA is everyone's always trying to center and get a lot more. And it seems like you're running like a a pretty high rate. I'm probably going to die soon. I don't know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I do. Yeah. I should be getting centered It might catch up with me later. I do have therapy every week. Um, I try to check in that way. And now it is a thing of like, I, I do put a lot of pressure on myself and have a lot of stress. So I'm trying to figure out And no
0: sleep? That's a bad recipe.
2: I know, dad.
0: Well, let's get you healthy. Let's get—I mean, you're you're trying to get into healthcare and help people, and you're yeah, but
2: that's for other people. This is like in college. I was a first responder, and I would always give people medicine, and I'd never take it myself. I'm like, <laughs> nah, I'll figure it out. Like, it's so stupid. It's the dumb. Like doctors make the worst patients, right? Like that's the thing. Yeah, it yeah. seems
0: like being and not, not the equivalent, a doctor, but, but <laughs> it's a, it's like a long, it's like a long con or slow burn of sort of like a martyrdom sort of thing, of like. That's a, You take it. Here, you wear my jacket. I'll freeze out here. Yeah. Why am I doing that? Why are you doing that? I don't know. I don't know why I'm doing that. <laughs> no one's going to be mad at you if you give them medicine and
2: then also take a little for yourself. I do take medicine now, but okay. I, don't, I don't think I was doing I was just like, I don't need it. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I was just like, I'll figure it out. But now I'm, yeah, I think now I'm doing that a little bit more. But yeah, I definitely do things... This is. I, th- I think has helped me be more selfish in a good way um, because I used to just do things for other people all the time and then not invest in myself. And then comedy like became my passion. And then now I put a lot into that because I care about it a lot. And so I think I am getting a little bit better at investing in my own my own well being. But healthcare wise i eat like trash i sleep like trash it's stupid but i do go to therapy so there's that
0: <laughs> and do they so sometimes reference welcome. hey maybe you know eat a little more well-rounded diet i don't tell them what i eat <laughs> in therapy they don't want to know like what's
2: going into your I t- body i tell them about like my i tell her about my like sleep issues
0: but nah. what if they what if they're all connected
2: i'm sure they are 100 percent, they are <laughs> yeah but no we all have our vices though mine's just trashing my body but it's i don't even i don't even drink that much um i don't smoke uh cigarettes what is it salty
0: foods what are you into what's your thing
2: sweets i eat so much sugar oh, and like God. and it's bad because there's diabetes in my family my dad's diabetic um, And so like with a new doctor, I've only had like this check once, but I like forced the doctor to give me the pre-diabetes check and they were like, you don't look like you. And I'm like, I know, but it's going to be because Indian people, there are a ton of Indian people with diabetes. I didn't know that. Yeah. I feel like I have this theory. I have, I really should do the research on it because I really want to talk about it on my podcast. But like I have this theory, like black people and Indian people get diabetes a lot and it's very prominent in my family and i think part of the like part of the weird thing is like i feel like indian people will get diabetes and then just live with it it's just like another thing and they like irregularly take their medicine <laughs> or whatever like my dad needs to do better <laughs> but like they irregularly take stuff but they live with it but black people like lose feet like they their eyesight like everything like it really affects them and i think there's something like genetic with it and people say it might be like the the diet too and it might be but like Indian people eat a ton of sweets that's like how we got it in the first
0: place well the dude from a uh, tribe called quest was just like i can't stop i can't stop eating sugar
2: i'm like that but i did i did stop for um nine months when my dad's uh diabetes like changed or whatever mm-hmm. um i lost so much i was like i had that and then i also got in a car accident that forced me to do physical therapy and i was dancing because i used to dance all the time i was like ripped like i was like the most in shape i had ever been how and was then, the sleep at that time i don't remember that was mm-hmm. before i knew i had sleep apnea uh, okay i think i think that was
0: like the first because it seems like, like you're always dancing right toward a sort of solution or a, a, a healthy state
2: I, eh, I i feel like i know like like if i put i just like let myself be lazy you know like you just like, like, it, like, like i would not in terms in of like self-help okay like Or like, you know, like I could, I could get the salad, but I'm like, fuck it. Let me just eat the ice cream. (laughs) I'm sad or whatever. It's like a comfort thing or like,
0: I want this vice. Yeah. See, that's what I was going to get at. I have a natural sort of propensity to align things perpendicular and or parallel and just kind of sort of OCD ish. I hate to use that because it sounds like I'm sliding uh, people who really suffer from it, but I—I I mean, as a kid, it was very much like, well, there are three pins they should be all parallel and this far away. from That does sound
2: a little bit like it, you know. It's not like crazy, but not, you th-
0: yeah, it—it it was just a thing that like I had to be aware of it, and then I started tilting the pins and moving things askew just to be like, it's okay, yeah. And then doing that so frequently that now it's kind of who I am. I don't think anyone would guess because I do that all the time. I move stuff around. But I'm always very aware, like, that's one degree off. Oh, interesting. And I wonder if your reason for doing that is kind of to, if everything's too perfect, if it's too streamlined, you're in perfect shape, your mental health is great, you're eating well, you're studying, you're on top of it, your sets are going perfectly, everything's too organized. If maybe subconsciously there's a part of you that's like, I don't like this, I need a little chaos. I don't know that, I I think I'm... I'm not that perfect
2: person though. Like I don't cause I was I, emotionally and stuff. Like it took a lot of work to get to where I am now where I can like function when I'm upset. Like I used mm-hmm. to like be on the floor crying. Like, oh, wow. so I'm not, I'm not that I like, I'm getting more robotic <laughs> as time <laughs> moves on, Yeah. but I'm like core. I'm not that. I don't think I'm like naturally that like I could be that perfect or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm hmm definitely i could take steps to for like my health care st- or my health issues or whatever but i just don't <laughs> i'm just like work is j- i'm a workaholic now that's what it is i think mm-hmm.
0: but yeah, doesn't seem cr- i mean it, you like the work that you like what you're doing
2: yeah i just gotta make sure i keep having fun doing it you mm-hmm. know like that's the thing i was not getting caught up in it
0: what do you love about it I mean, caltech you studied biology no um caltech i
2: i double majored in bioengineering and english <laughs> so i have a because they don't give out bas i have a bs in english whoa which is weird
0: yeah that's <laughs> like, a-
2: <laughs> it wasn't that bad it was like i just had to write a paper and like take a couple extra classes and like you know read a little bit extra but um because we had to do like a certain number of humanities courses or social mm-hmm. social science courses too um and uh but yeah, I did bioengineering there and then I did biomedical engineering at CMU and now I'm doing uh, the same thing,
0: biomedical engineering at USC. Are you into optogenetics? What do you want to work on eventually? You want to be making... Like-
2: optogenetics is, uh, is d- a different field. I am I transitioned, so I've always been interested in neuroscience. Even in high school, I was doing neuroscience research. Um, and then in my master's, I worked on the neural probes. In college, I worked on like neurodegenerative diseases. My master's, I worked on the neural probes, Uh, and then I went to get a job. Couldn't find; it was just desperate for a job. And then I ended up working at Thermo Fisher Scientific in the infectious diseases department. So I was carrying around concentrated vials of like HIV yeah. and like liter, like nine liters of plasma. I was walking <laughs> around and I was feeling like, just feeling gross. Cause I was like, we had all the right safety stuff and you know, it was yeah. fine. There was like no exposure
0: or anything. Were you um, worried about like a 12 monkeys sort of someone going rogue kind of thing? No, there were no monkeys at where no, I was no, doing, but no, it was the like movie where the person gets the vials and then they can like release this deadly plague on the world or something.
2: Um, I mean, th- that's an exposure issue. That's a contact exposure or like an exposure issue. And we were, we were safe. There was one time I like, uh, hurt myself or whatever. And then I got checked out. It was fine. But it was, um, it wasn't, it was just like, I just was tired of being in a wet lab. Like mm-hmm. I was tired of like working in lab with these materials and I've been doing it my whole life. And so that's why I started doing computational stuff at USC. And now I'm doing stuff that I like, um, But yeah, I don't know what I would do after my PhD. Honestly, I think uh, I'm trying to get funny by then.
0: (laughs) So (laughs) so that's sort of plan B is encroaching on plan A to maybe overtake it a little bit. Like ideally I'm doing a sold out arena tour and then I can in my off time from that dabble in the lab and or... Or just
2: scientific outreach. Like, I think it's really important, especially right now with all the miscommunication of what um, our solutions are and how they're applied, and like how policymakers are completely uneducated about or like ignorant of what science is, climate change, all of that stuff. It's ridiculous to me that people are in charge who are complete idiots.
0: But there are more of these type of podcasts than have ever existed and there's more of that happening and people choose more than ever where to get their material. So how do you infiltrate that? It used to be you had to Bill Hicks style go into uncomfortable rooms and do comedy that ruffled them and yet had them go, eh, that person's all right. The, uh, maybe I'll yeah. think more about that. And now it's like, these ears are closed to your ideas. If I even hear you say climate change, I'm done with you. So, how you Do think you think that's now? more now than ever? 100%. I go to places that I used to go that were kind of like, it's a mix. And now I'll there was a, I was in Boise a, a couple years ago and a guy, I didn't do anything that was like, here's where you're wrong and I'm right and or here's why you're dumb or anything like that. I just said something to the effect of, it, I was disappointed that we had left the Paris Climate Accord. And a dude went out to the owner and was like, why would you bring a liberal to Idaho? And was in there with like a bachelor party of like 10 people. And slowly they all trickled out of the room. So yeah. that, that level was bizarre to me. And I'm, and I'm not just basing what I said previous to this on that. I do think it's, we're seeing it. We're, everyone that I talk to has that same sentiment of like, man, I want to get involved so that policymakers, the children, that people are more aware... But it's just... You're just hollowing... We're all kind of yelling down the same tubes.
2: I honestly don't think we are. Um, because there are liberal people, I think, that misunderstand science anyways. Mm-hmm. I think specifically for science, people like don't understand it. Like I had a friend recently who said he believes in climate change, but then had a complete disconnect for its actual like effect on human life mm-hmm. and how people are currently dying from the storms that are, result in, are a result of climate change. Um, so I think that there are even within the liberal side yeah. uh, the whole outreach to the other side is like is such a battle and it's something we have to figure out and I think it starts with policymakers who enforce education at you know certain ages yeah, like the fact that they're trying to like in Texas, they're taking shit out of the textbooks. It's like ridiculous. I think <laughs> like slavery thing. They just a, Yeah. Like, yeah. You yeah. have to keep so, an
0: open mind. It might only be 6,000 years old. That there so, should be no part of that. That's allowable.
2: So they, but it's not even like they're taking like slavery out, which is insane. So like they, I think part, like the policymakers are so important. So I think that's one thing is like donating your time and your money to making sure that people are in charge who are like <laughs> care about the truth. Um, <laughs> uh, and then the other thing is, even within liberals, they go all the way around to where they're like anti-GMO, anti-vaxxers. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're liberal socially, but m- like scientifically fucked. Yeah. Like they really don't understand. And it's, it's so frustrating because you would never... I was talking to... Do you know Zoltan. Mm -hmm. Um, from San Diego. I was just talking to him about how he explained to a family member of his who like is very great with cars, but is also very conservative about how it would feel if, you know, like talking to scientists, like they don't know things or that, you know, better than them would be like a customer coming in and telling you that, you know, they know better about the car or whatever. And so it's, it's that sort of thing where you have to like make these comparisons and win like especially for me it's not just science it's also like being a brown woman <laughs> like you have to like make yourself more empathetic because people just don't believe that's why i like keep people that frustrate the shit out of me on my facebook mm-hmm. because i'm like i might be the only one they're seeing yeah talking about this yeah, and yeah. they need to know what they're doing is not okay because we exist like mm-hmm. we're out here <laughs> so i'm always i'm i've always been like had more of like an activist mentality, which is very unpleasant at family get togethers, but, but like necessary. <laughs> it's very frictional. Um, but I think it's important to do. Cause I think people need to know that they can't just like close their eyes to things. Um, so in terms of like, I, I, I do think that you can reach people who are already like on your side socially and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to like phrase it in a way that they understand or like prioritize it in a way that they understand Um, and then I think for the other side, you do have to like infiltrate those areas and you do have to like, like I always with comedy, I like love making people feel uncomfortable and laughing anyways. Mm -hmm. And that's like, that's my favorite type of laughter is where they're like, ah, (laughs) like we didn't expect this. (laughs) Um, but I, yeah, I do think that you like, I love doing comedy elsewhere and I love going on the road and stuff, but on the road i just like go on random trips but uh it has been in more like liberal places there was one time i went to like simi valley and they loved me and then i got off stage and found out they were all trump supporters and i was like oh you liked the race jokes up here you didn't really Uh. get it all the way down here but because of that they like they i they liked me as a person so maybe now they'll like the next person they see that looks like me you know what i mean Mm
0: -hmm.
2: so that's something that you know as i Get better, and I have more opportunities. I do want to go to conservative places. I, I want to be safe, but I want to go and like say the things that I want to say.
0: Yeah, well, Even, that's the thing that's so like when you mentioned you want to be safe. Obviously, that's a concern. Yeah, and and there are rare cares, cases, I guess, where someone on stage has been. I mean, obviously, heckling kind of comes along, but well, it's not like just physically being, stuff.
2: It's not just being on stage. It's like you get off stage, and you're still in that town.
0: If that's what I mean, though. You're you're. Preconception of maybe being in those places is the exact same of theirs looking back out toward you. Here comes this liberal and you're like, oh no, can I walk to my car after the show? 99% of this. And I feel like in my existence in comedy, it was much more common you, you know, hit the open mics, you just get some opening work, then you start hitting the road and like seeing the country. Yeah. And now people kind of do these indie festivals town to town. Yeah, I've been doing that a lot. And so there's less of, and maybe it's just because the population is so enormous, there's no reason now to go perform to people that don't like you and make you feel bad. you like, like, I, I do, don't need that. I
2: do. Yeah, it is like, I don't need that. I don't need to be uncomfortable to earn a living wage, but it's like, what are your priorities? What are your goals? Mm-hmm. Do you like you have this opportunity. Like, do you want to use it to like, not like, not even just educate people, but just expose people to something different. And I do think that there is a real danger for people. Like, I don't think it's like, I don't think it's like, Oh, this is the liberal coming to like, take our guns versus like us being afraid. Like there is a, like there has been a history of violence against people of color. So it's not Mm -hmm. unfounded for that fear to be there when you're visiting towns that are mostly white and Mm -hmm. have this, this known, um, culture or whatever you want to call this a weird way of putting culture racism it's a culture <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so strange um but yeah I do yeah I, it, I think it depends on what your goals are I do want to like be successful and like uh have fun shows and like have fun doing comedy but I also do like like the challenge of trying to win people over
0: <laughs> yeah and, like trying to
2: get people to see something else. I used
0: to I mean I would do shows and like you know, a week at a comedy club in Shreveport, Louisiana was never fun. But every now and again, someone would come over to me afterward and kind of sheepishly walk over and be like, hey man, thanks for doing those evolution jokes or whatever it may be. It wasn't necessarily. Yeah. I, it's weird to even think like 10 years ago, it wasn't quite so. Liberal versus conservative. It was yeah. just like, oh, you challenged a viewpoint. Yeah. But now they've gotten so dogmatic. And yeah, the grouping has really settled in. So people know, like, that group thing is this now.
2: I definitely have had shows, like, in San Diego, too, where I've knocked out, like, I bombed Madhouse a couple times and it felt real bad. <laughs> and, uh, but there were, even in those shows, there were some women and women of color and, like, queer women that came up to me afterwards and were like, yeah, they're like this, but we loved you. Like, and, yeah. and so even for, like, having, like, a few of those people, It's, like, the connecting with the people who need to see you there, Mm -hmm. who, like, need to hear you, and then, uh, like, letting the other people know that you exist. Those are the two things that I think, like, even at tough shows or, like, in
0: those situations is important to do. I agree. Well, I mean, we could talk comedy all day, but would you want to take a little break and then get into some neuroscience stuff? Yeah, we could do that. Okay. Hell yeah. Well, stick around for the riveting conclusion. Will they escape from the mine? Who knows? And that St. Archer Blonde Ale, if you haven't tried it, give it a give it a shot. I think most Blondales are just very palatable to almost anybody. If you some someone if you know someone that's like, yeah, I don't really like beer, or I, I I I just like beer that tastes kinda watery. Not to say that blonde ales are like that. Um, but it's the it's the most uh full beer tasting beer that also someone can drink and be like, oh yeah, this doesn't like Smack you right in the snout with hops and stuff like that. So not to call St. Archer's Blondale watery by any means. It's far from it. I just mean it's very drinkable, which if you listen to the chat with Josiah from Iron Triangle and Kale, you know that that's a big thing they strive for. I think most brewers do. Why on earth would you want to make beer that wasn't drinkable? And so they all set out to do that, but not everyone nails it. Um, and I think St. Archer did it with this one. So give that a try. Come back for part two next week. I really enjoyed chatting with her. We get a little bit more into neuroscience and the exact work that she's doing and some of the applications with that. It's really fascinating. So I think that's it. Thanks to Dan for putting this show together. Thanks to you for supporting the show. I always feel like this time of year we should be doing some sort of push where you can uh, buy merchandise or things like that. But hey, I don't know. I don't know how well that ever goes over. So if you want to, great, if you want to rate or subscribe or subscribe, if you want to subscribe, feel free to do it. Mention it to your friends, even tell a person if you like this show or just go on about your business. I don't know. Uh, I like doing it and so the more people that know about it that make it more feasible and uh and um easier for I don't know. I don't know what the hell I'm trying to say. I just like doing it so if you want to make that um better in some way i'm i'm all for it uh okay that's a little too much rambling i gotta keep these parts tight and concise i apologize let's get out of here with some music this is from this newly formed band called piroshka everlastingly yours thanks for stopping by the space game.